This is a special ARM podcast as we speak with session presenters and keynote speakers from the ARM conference in Nashville. I'm Bill Klaproth. With me is Elizabeth Hilla as we'll be talking about sourcing and stockpiling strategies to increase your supply chain resilience. Elizabeth is the Senior Vice President with the Health Industry Distributors Association. Elizabeth, thank you so much for your time, and it is great to talk with you. Would you first tell us a little bit about your organization? Sure. The Health Industry Distributors Association is the trade association for medical product distributors. So we're a national nonprofit, and our members include the large national distributors, independent distributors, ones that sell to hospitals, nursing homes, emergency medical services providers, the whole gamut of different kinds of medical product distributors. The interesting thing is so much of what we work on is not limited to distribution. So we, so we have work groups that have providers on them, GPOs, technology companies to work on things like, gee, how do we better allocate product in the supply chain? For instance, during our discussion, I'll have the benefit of some of the insights that I've heard from folks really across the supply chain, not just from distributors. Well, Elizabeth, that sounds great. So as you know, we're here to talk about strategies to increase supply chain resilience. Can you explain what that term means, supply chain resilience? What do you mean by that? You know, it gets thrown out a lot of different ways. But when I think about resilience, if you think about people and you say they're resilient, it means that they can bounce back quickly from problems. When I think about resilience in the healthcare supply chain, I think about a supply chain that can recover quickly when there are disruptions so that we can all continue to provide patient care and to protect staff. So resilience doesn't mean immunity from disruptions. It doesn't mean that we're going to never have problems. We're going to never have shortages. It's impossible. We, I don't think we can create a supply chain where there's never a shortage of product. It means that we can bounce back quickly. Right. When it comes to bouncing back quickly, it doesn't seem like the supply chain has been very resilient during the COVID pandemic, does it? I've heard folks say that. I've heard people say things like the pandemic broke the supply chain and why is the healthcare supply chain so broken? I actually look at it a little differently as I see it. Most organizations within the healthcare supply chain actually performed absolutely at the top of their game during the pandemic, during the worst days. They were working to conserve the product that they had, to expedite product from other locations or wherever it was made and get it to where it was needed in a hurry. They were working to find new sources of product. So I don't think the supply chain was broken. I think it worked well. There just wasn't enough PPE really anywhere on the globe to answer the amount of demand that increased. I mean, it was 10 to 20 times as much product that providers needed, and that wasn't there. So was the supply chain resilient? It probably wasn't as resilient as it needed to be because there was this huge demand increase that we weren't thoroughly prepared for. Right. So you mentioned a demand increase. There was way more demand than supply across the globe. So what strategies did distributors use to address that gap? They used certain strategies and so did healthcare supply chain leaders, manufacturers. I mean, really everybody sprang into action. Manufacturers immediately increased production to the level that they could. They opened more factory lines and they had people working 24-7, you know, more shifts. 
a whole lot of domestic manufacturers got into the game, got started producing items that we needed, PPE and other products. A lot of organizations, distributors and providers partnered with local manufacturers in their area who pivoted, you know, like the alcohol companies who started making hand sanitizer, things like that. And then everybody was also working as quickly as possible to find additional sources of supply. And the offers were coming out of the woodwork and they had to vet all those different offers. So distributors spent a considerable amount of time going through hundreds or thousands of offers to find legitimate sources. What we've heard is that some of those strategies worked a lot better than other ones. During the arm session that we led, we did live polling. We asked folks of those kinds of strategies, what was the most successful? And they said the most successful thing was just working with their established vendors Mm -hmm. to increase production, to find more product. And then probably the least successful was vetting all those unfamiliar brokers and vendors because there were was a lot of wasted calories on folks that were not legitimate. So what were some of the other problems that cropped up? I'm not telling anybody stuff that they don't know or didn't experience, but people had problems with counterfeit products. The prices went sky high. Many of that, the brokers or other vendors that were coming forward to our distributor members or to our members were asking for upfront payment. Oh, I've got a warehouse full of product somewhere, but you got to pay me now. Well, that was a huge red flag. Some of them said they had quantities that were unbelievable, and that's because they weren't true. Some organizations took those risks. They thought they had to, and some of them received product, and some of them received not what they were looking for, sub-quality product or lesser quantities. And there were folks that paid money and received nothing. Another problem I think that happened in there is that because everybody was really looking for product, providers were calling their manufacturers, their distributors for product, but also vetting offers themselves. So there were a lot of parties sort of bidding against each other for limited supplies, which I think we now know we'd like to find a better way next time. So knowing what we know now, what could we do differently next time? I think there's things that we can do either now or actually we're not through this pandemic, obviously, but when we are, the things that we can do in advance of the next crisis. And I think that there's things that we need to have in our plan to do differently once a crisis occurs. So in advance, we need to have these kinds of conversations that you and I are having right now. We need to talk about what we want to do differently. Certainly, if we're the supply chain person in a hospital or healthcare facility, we need to be sitting down with our major manufacturer and distributor partners and strategizing. We need to look at vulnerabilities. What are their vulnerabilities? Where are their products made? What do they see as their potential risks? What are our vulnerabilities? Like, do I have too many eggs in one basket for a critical product category? You know, up until this pandemic, contract compliance, buying a lot off of one contract was considered a good thing. And I think now people are saying, wait a minute, I think we want to take advantage of our contracts, but we also want to make sure that we have multiple sources for critical product categories. We have backup relationships, you know, that relationship with whatever local distillery pivoted to make hand sanitizer. Can we make that 
a pre-planned established relationship so that pivot can happen even faster in the future if it were necessary. I think people can start thinking about those domestic manufacturers. There are a whole lot of companies that have come into existence just in the last less than two years. I think they're going to need ongoing business, not just crisis buying, but ongoing business to get them through normal times so that they are still around in the future. Another big thing I think we all need to do is understand emergency readiness agencies. There are local health coalitions that address emergency readiness. There are state stockpiles, national stockpiles. We need to know those people. We need to know how they do what they do so that we're better prepared to access and to work with each other in a future crisis. So there's a whole lot of things on most people's list for preparing for the during, what we could do differently or even things that we did well that we need to make sure we do again in a future crisis. One of the big things I've heard from people is start conserving early. If you think maybe there's an epidemic coming or a crisis coming, put those allocations in place right away. The manufacturers can put those in place for their products, but the healthcare providers can put them in place right within their own organization because we all know even departments within a hospital have been known to hoard and the different departments end up competing with each other or the product isn't in the right place. So anyway, we need to conserve early. We need to activate those plans we've put in place. And we really need to work as much as possible with our trusted established partners, find out what they're doing to increase supply so that if we can, we can avoid competing with each other as much in the future. Those are just some ideas. I know people have much longer to-do list, but I think those are some of the important things. You did mention stockpiling as well, and this is a hot topic. Do you think providers should also build up their own stockpiles? It's an interesting question. I don't think stockpiles are a complete answer to supply chain resiliency, because I think everybody says, well, gee, if I'd have just had more PPE stored somewhere, I would have been okay. I'm not sure that's true. One, because I don't think anybody could store the amount of product you need to be ready for a 10 times or 20 times increase in demand. And I also think the next emergency, because we can't just think about a COVID-like pandemic, right? The next emergency might require a completely different mix of products, even just if we only limit ourselves to epidemic type emergencies, the things that we needed during Ebola were different than the things that we needed during COVID because COVID was respiratory. It's transmitted through the air. It's hard to imagine that we could have a stockpile that would prepare us for every contingency. What I do think we need is more buffer in the supply chain. The supply chain had become very, very lean because everybody wanted to push costs out. And I think we need a little less lean, more buffer, so that there is product in reserve in the supply chain. It's never going to be enough for 20 times as much demand over a period of months But if we have enough to get us through the first through really difficult weeks, then those partnerships that we have with those local manufacturers and with ramping up production lines, all those things can get fired up and we've got buffer to get us through the difficult beginning. So I think stockpiles have some limitations. That said, 
Providers in some states are now legally required to have large PPE stockpiles. So it's not enough to say, no, they shouldn't. I mean, I think most organizations are thinking about how do they have larger reserves, whether they're legally required to or not. I do think it's important to realize a stockpile does not necessarily have to be something within the four walls of the hospital or owned by the hospital. The healthcare provider could work with their business partners, such as prime vendor distributors are are happy to do it. There's other kinds of partners out there as, as well to help them create a stockpile or have bigger reserves. So maybe the hospital works with their existing distributor to just carry more days of inventory, or they have some kind of 3PL type relationship where the provider owns the inventory and the distributor provides the space for it and keeps that inventory turning so it doesn't expire. There's lots of models out there. And I think everybody needs to be talking about how do we have more buffer. So it sounds like you're saying there's better ways than managing your own stockpile. Better, or at least there are options managing a stockpile, that's a really big undertaking. A stockpile can take up, like if you want to have a 90-day stockpile, your typical 350-bed hospital, let's say, you want a 90-day supply of a typical PPE, and that's just one product category, you might need an emergency, right? That's like 15 tractor trailer loads of product. That's a lot of storage space at a time when nationwide warehouse vacancy rates are going down, rents are going up. I mean, it's a lot of space. And then all of that product needs to be managed. It needs to be turned. We certainly don't want to just stick 90 days or 180 days worth of N95 masks in a warehouse somewhere that we're not going to need for five years. We have to turn the inventory so that it's not expired when we need it. Good news is there's a lot of existing warehouse space, you know, medical product distributors, other organizations, they have distribution centers around the country. So providers can take advantage of existing capacity if that's what they want to do. Right. So let me ask you this, Elizabeth, when is the right time to think about stockpiles then? I think it's, we need to be thinking about them when we don't need them right away. Of course, none of us do that, right? We think about emergencies when we're in the middle of those emergencies, but that's the worst time to think about stockpiling because when the nation's in a shortage of anything, whether it's needles and syringes or PPE or some future, you know, treatment product that we need, if some folks are stockpiling those things for a rainy day and other people can't get their hands on them, that's a really bad time to stockpile. So I think because those people who are stockpiling at that point are just making the shortage just worse. So the time to think about it is when we're not in the middle of a shortage. Yeah, that makes sense. So then this has been a great discussion, Elizabeth, and thank you. So what is the number one takeaway you'd like to leave with our listeners today? Well, since I come from Haida and we're the Distributor Trade Association, I have to say that if you haven't had a comprehensive conversation with your distributor recently about resilience, about emergency readiness, talking to your distributor is a great place to start. They are all getting really creative with readiness kinds of programs, programs for stockpiles and reserves of critical medical supplies for being prepared for whatever, because the next crisis, it might not be a pandemic. It might be a weather disruption or some sort of mass casualty event. So those kinds of things, having that conversation and creating those emergency plans, really important with all of your major suppliers. For most 
healthcare facilities, the distributor is either their number one or in their top five suppliers. So that's a good place to start and to be thinking about the different kinds of scenarios of emergencies and are we ready for whatever comes our way. So I feel like that kind of collaborative planning, not just within the walls of your facility, but with your major partners is critical and a great first step to being prepared for future supply chain disruptions. Well, Elizabeth, this has really been insightful and informative. Thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate this. It's my pleasure. And once again, that's Elizabeth Hilla. And for more education like this, please go to the ARM Knowledge Center at arm.org slash knowledge dash center. That's arm.org slash knowledge dash center. Thanks for listening.